So this morning, as our video showed you, we're going to talk about pottery this morning, okay? And so, do we have any pottery fans in the house today? Do you go to, uh, what's that place called? Uh, Picasso's or uh, something with a twist? Uh, huh? Painting with a twist. Do we have people who go to those places and find bowls, they find cups, they find plates, and you go in there and you'll, you'll spend an afternoon painting something? Who are those people? Do we have any of those people? All right, we got a few of those people in the house today. Maybe some of you are a little more hardcore on that, huh? Does anybody have, like, uh, at their house, in their garage, in the corner of their garage, they've got a, a potter's wheel and a, and a hunk of clay and maybe a kiln, and you just go in there in your spare time, and you, and you make pots, you make vases, you make... Anybody like that in here today? No, I didn't, I didn't think there would be, but you never know. People do uh, different things these days. Well, when I was in elementary school... Doing pottery was part of your art education, okay? You always had, we had pottery twice a year. We had it in the fall and we had it in the spring. And, and one of those times, I think it was the fall, you would have to make an animal. That was your project, okay? They'd give you a chunk of clay and you'd have to make an animal with it. And then in the spring, they'd give you a chunk of clay and you'd have to make some sort of pot with it, okay? Some sort of cup, some sort of something that you could use as a container in the spring. And we had every, you know, we had the kiln there on the grounds of the middle or the uh, elementary school. Do they still do that today? Do you guys in elementary school get to make pots? Okay, Ms. Linda says they do, and she's an elementary teacher, so I'm trusting and believing she knows what she's talking about. But, but we'd get this clay, and we'd make this stuff, and I remember uh, making a couple of things. I mean, I made a, a coffee cup for my mom when I was in fourth grade, and, you know, I shaped this. It was only like this tall, so it was maybe more of an espresso cup. But, you know, I made this cup, and I painted an M on it, and this thing, like, literally, until 17 years ago, it was in our house. Now, we didn't use it to drink coffee from. It was actually in the cabinet, and if we'd find old like wheat pennies and stuff like that. That was the cup all the old coins that we would find would go in. Okay, I don't know if the cup's still around anymore, but then I made the, the, the pinnacle of my art career was the bald eagle that I made. Okay, we had, I spent hours on this eagle. I mean, I was fascinated with bald eagles for a short period of time. And uh, we, I, we, I just built this thing. I, I built it. He was sitting there with his wings out. He had his talons. He had the head and he had the big beak. And man, I, I built it. I, I mean, I, I formed it. I, I put it in the kiln and, and I painted it. And uh, my grandparents actually took it and they put it in their, uh, their lake home in northern Wisconsin. And it sat on a shelf for a really long time there. But, uh, but you know, at no point when I created this cup or this eagle, did anybody say to me, you've got an art career ahead of you? It just, it never happened. And so, and so this was the extent of my pottery and my working with clay. But this morning, we're going to take a journey and it's going to involve clay. We're going to take a trip to the potter's house. And so I want to invite everyone to turn in their Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Um, if you do not know where the book of Jeremiah is, it's in the Old Testament. It's uh, about three-quarters of the way or two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament, right after the book of Isaiah. If you're saying, I don't know where any of that's at, I don't know what an Old Testament is, that's fine. We're going to have it on the screen behind me. If you're here this morning for the, and you're in church and you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, if you stop by our Fam Connection Center on your way home, they'll put a brand new Bible in your hands for you to take home with you today. And before we read Jeremiah, I want to tell you a little bit about this guy. And uh, I'm going to do my best not to bore you because this guy had a long and complicated life. 
And so I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights for you. But Jeremiah was born in about 630 BC, give or take a few years. And, and he, by telling us, when he's telling us his story in the book of Jeremiah, he actually tells us that at some point when he was a young child, God came and God spoke to him and said, I am calling you to be a prophet. We, don't, we can estimate when that was, maybe six, seven years old. But what we do know is that uh, by the time he was a teenager, by the time he was a teenage boy, he was part of the company of prophets. Okay, and so that meant that he traveled around and prophesied. Now, when I say that word, we kind of go spiritual with that sort of thought, and we think, oh, he was a prophet. He was like getting into some state, and he was like telling about the future and weird things and beasts and horns and crazy stuff, and, and so that's what he was doing. Well, no, you know, generally a prophet, for the most part, what they did was they spoke God's word. We try and over-spiritualize this role of the prophet because some of the things that we have written in our Bible, but for the most part, a prophet just spoke God's word. And so God would speak to Jeremiah. God would speak his word. He would study God's word. God would say something to him through the word, and he would go and speak it. I mean, it's pretty much what I'm doing up here on a, on a weekly basis on a Sunday morning as well. This is like the role of a prophet. I'm here, and I'm speaking God's word. And, uh, and that's what Jeremiah was. He was out speaking, and he was out preaching in the name of God. And there are some future elements to his messages, but, uh, but, but preaching God's word is the main thrust of his life and this book. Well, at some point in his prophetic career, he becomes an integral part of some reforms that the king of the nation is trying to make. This man named Josiah becomes king uh, of Judah, and, uh, and, and suddenly something happens. And you're going to be blown away by this because you're not going to expect this to happen. But do you know at one point they lost the Bible? They had no clue or idea where the scriptures were at. They'd been lost for years. Now, this was back just when they had the Old Testament, only parts of the Old Testament, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all they had. But there was like an 80, 100-year period where the Jews completely lost the Bible. And so they had no idea what it meant to practice and follow God. And one day, when Josiah was king, some of the priests were out doing some renovation work on the temple. They were kind of digging some holes, cleaning some stuff up, and, and they happened to dig up a copy of, the, of the, the book of Deuteronomy. And they read this book, and they're like, whoa, dude, there's a lot of stuff in here that we haven't been doing. And so they took this book, and they brought it to King Josiah, and they said, look, we found this king. And the king read it and went, oh, snap, we're in trouble. Because we haven't been doing things God's way. And so the king, I mean, the, God really got a hold of the king's heart. And the king had decided that he was just going to start doing some re reforms. He was going to start changing some things. He was going to bring the nation back to God. And so he starts his reforms. And uh, the problem with the reforms was this. He got the prophets and he got the priests on board with his reform. However, when he started to talk to the people about living their lives the way the book of Deuteronomy said to live it, they just kind of said, nah, we're good, king. We don't need to live that way. But Jeremiah was in the center of this whole thing. And so here they are. They're, they're, the, the king is doing these uh, these. Uh, uh, What's the word? Reformations. He's reforming the religion of the people. He's changing things. And, uh, and uh, the people are just kind of going along. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're just showing up at the temple and practicing the, uh, the, the, uh, all of the, the aspects of the Jewish religion. Outwardly, they were conforming, but there was no change on the inside. See, God was looking for true heart change in the people, but it didn't seem to be taking place. 
And he was in the, it was in the middle of this attempt to return the nation to God that God spoke the words of chapter 18 to Jeremiah. And this morning we're going to read uh, chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And then a little bit later we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. And so this is what it says in uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of a potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. So God took Jeremiah down to the potter's house. What was the potter's house? It was the house that the guy or the girl who made the pottery lived in. Pretty deep, right? That changed your life right there. But back in the day, like back in Jeremiah's day, they didn't go to Walmart to buy their plates, their bowls, their cups, their dishes. They didn't go get some plastic cups from Walmart and fill their cabinet with them. They had to go to the potter's house, to the artist who would sit and make all of the pottery. They would make the vases and the bowls and all of that stuff. That was their job. That was their work. That was how they employed themselves. They would take this stuff, they would make it, and they would sell them to people. And God wanted Jeremiah to go down there and see this process. He wanted him to go down there and see what was going on, how this worked. And and, uh, and, and the process that the potter took uh, to be to, to make a, a something into a vessel, it kind of went like this. Okay, after the clay was extracted from the ground, it was brought to the potter's shop where it was prepared, okay? The clay was worked through and foreign objects such as stones and sticks were removed and usually water was added to soften the clay. Many times a tempering agent such as sand was added to it to get the right texture that the potter was looking for for the pot that he was making, okay? When the clay was properly prepared, he would then take the chunk of clay that he wanted to create and he would take it to his potter's wheel. Now today we've got these potters wheels that have electric motors in them that they just slap the clay on. We flip a switch, the thing starts to spin, and it works. Back then, it was a lot different. It was a lot bigger object that they would have. They would, first of all, have to dig a hole in the floor of their house, okay? And then they would put a flywheel stone down in there, which a a flywheel stone is just, it's hard to describe, but it's something that kind of keeps the thing moving. It's, it's It's a spinning thing. And so they would put that in the hole. They'd put this giant flywheel in the hole. They would put a stick on top of it, and they would put a wood plate on top of the stick. And what the potter would do is he would step up to this thing, he would put his foot on the flywheel and spin it like this so that the top would spin and he would mold it with his hands as it sat up here the clay. All right, that's a pretty, that's a lot of work if you think about it, going into making a pot there, having to spin it with your foot, having to shape it with your hands, but that's what the potter, that's what the potter did. He would, he would do that, and then as, as, the, as the table spun, and you saw in the video up there that they, they would press, that they would push, that they would shape, that they would mold, that they would do all kinds of things to form this thing into a vessel. Having formed the pot, the potter separated it from the remaining lump of clay by pinching it off with his fingers or cutting it off with string. After a vessel was formed, it was allowed to air dry to a leather-hard condition before it was fired. Uh, The drying process took several days, depending on temperature and humidity. And when sufficient number of pots were prepared, uh, they were stacked into a kiln and baked for several hours to turn them into the impervious jars, bowls, and cooking pots, which we find buried today. And you're saying to yourself, well, that's all really interesting. 
But why did God bring Jeremiah down to the potter's house? Why did God bring Jeremiah down there? Did he want him to get a second job? And so he was trying to get him trained on how to properly use a potter's wheel and a lump of clay? Did maybe God want some Christian pottery on the market because all of the unsaved people were making pottery? And maybe if there was something out there that had a little fish engraved in it, it would make the whole process holier. Now, I don't think any of those things were the reason that Jeremiah, that God brought Jeremiah down to the potter's house. He didn't want him to make pottery. He wanted to speak him to him something. He wanted to speak to him a word. And he had a few things that he taught Jeremiah through this whole process. The first thing that God had to say through this whole process to Jeremiah is that God wants to do with his people like the potter does to the clay. As we've already mentioned, the people, they were going along with these reforms that Josiah had already, that that he had started, but it wasn't deep down in their heart. They were returning to the temple for worship. They were doing the feasts and sacrifices, but the reason they were doing it is because the king told them to, okay? It, It did not come from a true change of hearts. It was one of those things that the king said, we have to do this, and so we need to get out there, and we need to do this thing, but it's not really making a difference in our lives. And see, that's not what God was looking for. He was not looking for a people who were just going through the motions. He wasn't looking for people who would just do whatever the king said he did, whatever the religious rules and practices were of the day. He he was saying, that's not what I want you to do. See, he wanted to capture Judah's heart. He wanted to capture Judah's heart. He wanted Judah to be sold out to him and have a passionate fire in him, in them burning for God and for God's kingdom and for all the things that God had. But he wasn't getting that. He wanted to take them onto the potter's wheel so that he could form them and so that he could shape them and so that he could mold them, so that he could build that passion inside of them for him. How does the potter's wheel accomplish that? It allows the loving God to fashion and shape your life, to bring what's best for them, to get cleaned up from the stuff that's messing it up, to set us free from the situations and the circumstances that are taking us in a different direction. That's what God wants for us and for our lives, to clean us up and to have us going in the right direction, to be a lump of clay that's passionately in love with him and just says anything. God, your kingdom, your, your world, your, whatever you want from me above anything else. And the thing is, is that not only did God want that for Judah back several thousand years ago, but he wants the same for all of us. You see, all of us have areas of our life that are marred, that are, that are not what God wants them to be. And, you know, a lot of times we think that because we go through some religious motion, that we go through some religious process, that we are okay with God. Well, I'm here occasionally on Sunday mornings, and I read my Bible through the week, and I sometimes pray, and, and, and I give, and so everything is great with me and God. That's as good as it's going to get. We look at ourselves and we say, well, because I'm not into the big sins, everything is great with me and my life. But what we miss is the things that we call, the things that we think 
are the big sins aren't necessarily the ones that Jesus thinks are the big sins. Do you want to know? Do you guys know what the biggest sin is? Idolatry. And some of you probably thought, oh, really? That's the biggest sin? Oh, that's so easy, man. Dude, I don't got any statues in my house that I worship. I don't go down to a temple and, and worship all these other gods. I mean, that, that, that's a simple thing, man. I got that one. I don't commit the biggest sin. Well, you know what? That's only a partial picture of what idolatry is. Idolatry is anything we put before God. It doesn't have to be a statue. It doesn't have to be something that others would call a god. It's anything we put before God. And this is the deal. I know that there's idolatry in my own life. I see it all the time. I see myself putting other things before God. You know, I see myself looking at my family and and my children and, and saying, you know what, I need to put them first. I need to put them before God. The temptation is there. The temptation is there to put sports before God. The temptation is there to take my money and say, man, I want to use my money the way I want to use it. And God, you have no right to it. And when we say that, that's idolatry. Your jobs, our jobs become idolatry. We worship our jobs, and you're saying, well, that's, that doesn't fit for you because you work for a church. No, the same thing can happen to me. If my working here at the church becomes because I want to build some sort of kingdom here on this earth and have my name be known, my job has become an idol to me. You know, I just want to have the American dream. That comes before God. I want everything that this country has to offer and will pay any price for it. See, that's the definition of idolatry. Anything that we are willing to pay a price for and put before God. All of those things that I'm willing to pay a price and say, God, you're coming second in this. Any of those things in our life are idols. And you know, right now, I believe that idolatry is the biggest sin in the American church. See, we think that the problem is the target is a letting dudes go in the women's bathroom, and that's the problem with our country. The problem with America is really the body of Christ, his church. Those of us who follow Jesus, we have all of these idols in our life that we place before God. And we don't think we need to deal with them or we don't think they are an issue. Not only do we have these idols, but we like to proudly flaunt these idols. We love to declare when we're not doing what God wants us to do. People put it on Facebook all the time. And then we turn around and we look at the people who are doing the things that we call big sins and where that's the problem with our country right there is those people living in the big sins and committing the big sins. They're the ones screwing this place up. The reason this country is screwed up, the reason the church is not making an impact in this world, or let's narrow the focus down a little bit more, the reason that FAM Church is not making an impact in Mulberry is because we want to hold on to the idols while pointing at the world for its sin. See, the world can see right through us. 
They can look at us and they see the hypocrisy in us doing that. They can see that we're serving gods that aren't gods and that we're giving ourselves over to things other than God. And they look at that and they say, why do I want a part of that? That's just as sinful as the things I'm doing. But all too often, we don't care. We just place God there. And see, God is the potter. He wants to work all of that out of us. See, he wants to remove the idolatry from all of our lives and shape us into pots that can make a difference. But it's not just the idolatry that we fear. We also fear the process of being made into a pot that's usable. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a couple of things that have to happen to a pot in order to clean out the impurities and make it into a usable pot. The first thing is this. The potter has to place his or her hands on the clay and apply pressure. Has to push down. Has to, has to push this way. Has to push this way. Has to lift up this way. And we don't like it when pressure is put on our lives to be molded and shaped, do we? Judah didn't like the pressure. God uh, speaking through Jeremiah to let the nation of Judah know that the shaping was coming and it was going to involve pressure, but the nation didn't want to hear it if we were to read a little bit further in there. He's looking, he says, Jeremiah, look, this is the situation. I'm going to try this country. I'm going to make things difficult. I'm going to put pressure on the people who are Jews, but I'm going to put pressure on them because I want to make them pure. I want to make them clean and I want to make them right. And then we hear that because the same is true for us. And we're like, oh man, pressure? That means things are going to get uncomfortable, right? Uh, hold on. Uh, God, you know, I don't got time for uncomfortable. God, I don't want things that are going to hurt in my life. But you know what? Sometimes, many times, to get imperfections out of us, it's going to hurt. I mean, just, just a just earlier, a few days ago, last week, Glennis was in the hospital because she got appendicitis. They had to cut her open to remove her appendix. Her appendix had become swollen, and if your appendix bursts, you die. So picture this, okay? Let's say Charles is at the hospital, and they come out and they say, we have to operate on your wife. We have to cut her open to remove her appendix. Charles is like, over my dead body, are you hurting my wife? He rushes into the operating room, punches the doctor out, grabs a scalpel and says, if anyone hurts my wife, I'm going to cut you. Would anyone do that? No, because the pain of cutting his wife open is ultimately going to be the thing that cures her. And in our life, when God has to remove stuff from us, he's taking stuff out of us that has the potential to kill us. But we get mad. We won't get mad at a doctor for inflicting pain on us, but uh, if God comes along and puts any pressure on our lives to try and get something out of us that's toxic, we conclude that he is mean, that he is nasty, and that he doesn't love us anymore. 
Do you realize the thing that God is trying to remove from us is far more dangerous and far more toxic than appendicitis, than cancer, than a family member dying, or any of the other pains and pressures that we go through in life? Because all of those things, they can kill our body. That's all the power they have. But the things that God is trying to remove from us, they can not only kill our body, they can kill our soul. And see, if our soul is killed, if we end up entering into eternity without having let Jesus transform our lives and giving our lives to him, we enter to a place that we don't want to go. We spend an eternity separated from Jesus in hell, which is a far worse fate than something that happens to us in our life. Man, allow the pressures to come. Look at what God is doing and what God is trying to work out in you. And instead of resisting it, we need to help God with the process to remove the stuff that's in us, that's causing all of these things. Don't fight God. When you're at the potter's house, don't fight him. Allow him to come in and work that stuff out of you. Then the second thing with the shaping is that it's done according to what the potter sees as best, not what the pot sees as best. See, we live in a world where everything is done according to our preferences, right? We can pull out our cell phone, and if we don't like the color of the little bubbles that appear on our screen, when somebody sends us a text message, we can go in and change the color. If the font's not big enough, we can change the font. Whatever picture we want to have on our screen when we press our little button and it lights up, we can get that to appear on here. Okay? Our prefer- we, can- we have, I mean, we just live in a world that revolves around us and our preferences. If you want to watch TV, no longer do you just have to watch the networks. You can get Netflix, you can get Hulu, you can get Amazon Prime, you can go to YouTube. I mean, you can basically watch any show you want to watch at any time you want to watch it, and it doesn't matter when, who, or where it's been scheduled, you can watch it, you have your choice. I mean, you can build playlists of songs. When I was a kid, you couldn't take 15 different artists and build a playlist of 15 different songs. Okay, if you wanted a list of 15 different songs, you had to take your cassette tape, put it in the player, play the song you wanted to play, hit stop, eject, pull that one out, stick the next one in, close it, play the song. It would have taken you three hours to play through a 15-song playlist. Now you can just go into your phone and you can build it. But when we submit ourselves to the potter, we no longer get to choose our preferences. It's now in the potter's hands and what he wants to make us. He gets to make what he sees fit. It's not up to us. And many of us, we don't like that. We like to be in control. God, you need to make me into a pot that's going to sit on the shelf of a rich man's house where he puts all of his gold in it. But God is saying, you know what? I'm going to make you into a spittoon that's going to be on the porch of a hillbilly in the mountains of North Carolina's house. And we're saying to ourselves, God, do you see me? Do I look like a spittoon? I am far more qualified to hold gold than spit. You know, but that's the way we get. I deserve better. I'm better than this. But can I tell you, if you've really surrendered your life to Jesus, 
we have no right to tell God what he can make us into? See, when we come to him, he gives us one option, okay? And that option is come and let me mold you or go your own way. Jump on the potter's wheel. Let me mold you. Let me shape you. Let me make you into what I want to make you into. But so many in the church, they don't allow Jesus to do that. Instead, we come to Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm getting on the potter's wheel, but here's the deal, okay? Um, You can only work on this area. You can only touch these sins. You can only mess with these things. You know, that sin over there, I want to hold on to that. That that piece over there, I know I shouldn't have that, but I want to keep that piece. That that spot that's hard, I want you to leave that hard because, you know, that person offended me and they did something really wrong to me. And so I've got to hold on to that anger and that hurt in my life so that they can never hurt that again. And when we come to God, he's saying no. No. You have to allow me to mold and to shape you how best I see fit. We don't have the choice. It's an all or nothing proposition. He either takes all of you or he doesn't. It's up to you. It's your choice in what you want him to do. See, the nation of Judah, they made that choice. See, they decided they wanted nothing to do with this potter's wheel. They decided they wanted nothing to do with it at all. They decided they wanted to continue to live the way they wanted to live. And so this is where we're going to read verses 11 and 12 from chapter 18 of Jeremiah. And this is what it says there. It says, Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, It's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Worship team, if you could come back up. Judah made a choice. They decided that they didn't want to be molded and shaped by God. They decided they wanted to continue to be who they wanted to be, and this didn't work out well for them. If we were to continue to read into chapter 18, we would see that because of their decision not to allow the potter to shape them, disaster was coming on them. Some people look at that and they'll say to themselves, well, God's just a spoiled little brat then. I mean, they didn't do, Judah didn't do what he wanted them to do and so now he's just going to get mad and strike some people down and, and, and all of that stuff. That's not the picture that I see happening here. What I see is This piece of clay got on the wheel. It had imperfections. It had problems. It had issues. It had stuff that was wrong. And instead of letting God mold and shape that pot and and form it the way he wanted, it said, well, wait a minute, God, leave that piece in over here. Oh, don't push up on that side. That hurts too much. Oh, leave this part alone. And they got this jacked up, messed up, deformed pot And so as soon as somebody tried to use it and it bumped the corner of the table, it all smashed into pieces on the floor. And that's what we do when we sit there and we say, God, I'm not doing it your way. I want to be my own pot. If we leave the clay, if we we leave the pebbles and the sticks and other junk inside of our clay, and we only allow God to put pressure on areas that we want him to put pressure on, and then when we're done... And God tries to use that, it falls apart and breaks because it's a low-quality piece of junk. That's what happened to Judah. 
It was a low-quality piece of junk that shattered. God doesn't want us to be shattered. See, God wants all of us to be fully formed. He wants all of us to be perfect pots. He wants to come and to mold us and to form us and to shape us and to develop us into this full, useful, completed pot. But in order to accomplish that, we have to let God do the work that he wants to do. We have to allow him to put pressure in our lives. We have to allow him to pull the junk out of our lives. We have to allow him full access to ourselves because if we don't, we're going to end up like Judah and break into pieces. And just incidentally, do you know what the sin of Judah was that ultimately cost them everything here? Idolatry. That's what God wanted to remove from them. Verse 17 in chapter 18 says this, Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways. It's the sin God hates the most. And as followers of Jesus, we can't let those be in our lives. Or idolatry, we can't let that be in our life. We've got to allow the potter to come and to shape and to mold and to form us. 